Well, I'm excited today that we get to start a new sermon series. Uh, the title is on the screen, Mission Critical. Um, we uh, here at Abundant Life, our theme has been on purpose, pressing into what matters most. And what we're going to talk about today is one of those things that matters most, if not matters the most most, if you, if you can say that. Um, what we're talking about is making disciples. Um, and so I want to explain why it matters so much. I want to explain what has gone wrong with the mission to make disciples and hopefully how it can be corrected. So um, let me read to you the passage where Jesus commissions his disciples that he just got done spending three years with training up and he's releasing them now into the world to be on this disciple making mission. Um, remember, this is after Jesus's resurrection. These are his parting words to his disciples. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. All right, so uh, the reason, uh, one way we can talk about the critical nature of this mission to make disciples is to think about the world and how it is broken, which this is all a reminder to you. This is not new news, um, but sometimes it, it makes sense to pause and to think the deep, think about the deep brokenness in our world. So. Um, let's do it. Uh, let's, we could talk about war. We could talk about human trafficking. We could talk about abortion. We could talk about genocide. We could talk about abusive parents. We could talk about abusive bosses and work cultures. We could talk about divorce, slander, lies peddled through social media, the sexual exploitation of women, identity confusion, idolatry that includes the deification of our children in sports, gang violence, affairs, gossip, unforgiveness, demonizing people who do not think like us, racism, tribalism, a whole slew of social injustices, teen suicide, a whole list of mental health issues such as depression and anxiety. The research tells us that our young people are dealing with this super acutely. If you're in your 50s or 60s, you might not understand the mental health crisis that's going on in the world because typically it's not affecting you right now at least nearly as much as our young people. And so, and then you could throw on top of all that rampant pollution. You could talk about the deforestation of a lot of our forests and jungles. The world is deeply, deeply broken. And the question is, well, how can it be fixed? Can it even be fixed? Now, for quite some time, many people have thought that through advances in technology, we would be able to solve 
the ills that plague the world. And in some ways, technology has helped bring about good and alleviate some of the suffering. But what's interesting is that you know, while there's been some good advancements, in a lot of ways, technology has only served to strengthen what's wrong with the world. Take, for example, social media, right? A technology, at least I'd like to think, was created by its creators to unify people. Strengthen relationships has only served to divide relationships and break down relationships, right? Um, if you talk to uh, school counselors, our school counselors, our administrators, they will tell you the no, one of the number one reasons, if not the number one reason, for the mental health crisis among our teens is social media. And so if you talk to these administrators and school counselors, they're pretty adamant that their kid will not have a cell phone until much, much older than their classmates. So, the question is, if our human ingenuity, if our technological advancements haven't been able to solve the problems in our world, what will? And here is the answer. There is an ancient solution to our modern day problem. And, this, and here's the ancient solution. Disciple making is the answer to the world's problems. Here's the reality, and I want you to see this. Everyone in this room is a disciple. All of you are a disciple. The question is not whether you are a disciple. The question is, who's discipling you? What are you allowing to form and shape your soul? What are you allowing to form and shape your mind, your heart, your priorities? We are all disciples. Something is shaping us. We are all undergoing spiritual formation. The question is, what is forming us? Now, how about you? Who or what are you following? What is it for you? Some people's souls are being formed by their political party. Some people are being formed by money. That's their master. Some people are being formed by their favorite social media personality. Some are being formed by career success and they're, they're disciples of Steve Jobs or Elon Musk or Bill Gates or Warren Buffett. Some people are disciples of LeBron James or Steph Curry or Kevin Durant. Some people are, you know, disciples of their favorite coach. Coach K, Davo Sweeney, whoever that is for them. Some are disciples of Joanna Gaines, right? It's true. Here she is, she's fit, she's pretty, seems to have a great marriage, right? Her house is always beautiful. There always seems to be chocolate chip cookies on the dinner table. She has wonderful kids who get to live on a farm and be raised with animals and have experiences like that. She's always put together. And on top of all that, she's running a massive empire of a business. Oh, if we could all be like Joanna Gaines. We laugh at this, but come on. 
I'm speaking truth and facts. We allow this stuff to shape us, don't we? Okay. Now, what happens if we become disciples of any of these things? You know, if you've been here, it leads to brokenness. The, the, the um, happiness and significance and security that we crave and that we're seeking will always remain elusive. And you know what broken people do? They do broken things to other people. Hurt people hurt people. This is what's wrong with the world. Now, this disciple-making is the hope for a world gone mad because Jesus Christ is the only one that has the character and the competency to run your life without breaking it. Everything else will eventually break your life. Now, why is this the case? Because Jesus is the way who leads to the truth and the truth leads to life. That's why. Jesus is the author of truth. He is through and through truthful. He's the one who can help you understand why you're here. What's the purpose of life? How to find meaning? How to ha find happiness? He's the one that can tell you about what the future holds. He's the one that can give you abundant life. Our people in this world, they need a relationship with Jesus that happens through <coughs> discipleship to Jesus, which happens through somebody coming alongside of them, joining hands with Jesus and discipling them. There's another problem, though. Can I talk to you about another problem? I'm going to. Jesus' disciple-making vehicle needs to be repaired. What is Jesus' chosen disciple-making vehicle? It's the church. It's us in this room, and it's broken. Um, in America, we have forsaken the mission in the American church to make disciples. We've forsaken it. In March of 2021, the Barna Research Group asked U.S. churchgoers if they knew what the Great Commission was. More than half, 51% had no idea. Another 25% said they had heard of it but didn't know what it meant, and 6% were unsure. Only a tiny fraction, 17% of U.S. churchgoers could explain what it was, what the Great Commission is. That doesn't mean they're actually doing it, but only 17% could, could explain it. 17%. A 2015 Barna research study titled The State of Discipleship found out found that only 1% of church leaders believe that today's churches are doing very well at discipling new and young believers. 1% of church leaders. Barna also found that only 20% of Christian adults are involved in some sort of discipleship activity. Could this be precisely why often in the American church the people in the pews look no different than the people outside of the four walls? Divorce rates are just as high. Addiction is a problem. Brokenness in family relationships, huge deal. Unforgiveness is, you know, there. I think it has everything to do with it. The church has lost its saltiness. The church 
has ceased to be a light to a broken world. And as a result, this is what's happening. The majority of the people in our country think that church is irrelevant. Irrelevant. They tried it, and it didn't lead to deep, deep transformation for them. Or they know somebody that has, and the same thing happened. They didn't, that person wasn't deeply transformed by being a part of the church because discipleship isn't happening where deep transformation takes place. And so what is going on is people are like, hey, I'm already overstressed, overcommitted. I'm looking to cut things that aren't making an impact. And so one of the first things to go is church. And in some ways, you can't blame them. If they're not experiencing life change, why do it? And there's reasons, but if you think from their perspective, it makes sense. The Great Commission that I read to you at the beginning of Matthew 28, 16 through 20 has become, as the late Dallas Willard said, the Great Omission, not the Great Commission. The Great Omission. Now, how have we as an American church landed here? Well, in order to understand how we have gotten here, I think it helps to understand the stages a discipleship of, or a disciple of Jesus is meant to move through. So let me explain these to you. And as I explain them, I, I encourage you to think about what chair do you sit in, if any at all, okay? So Jesus, this is taken from Jesus' disciple-making ministry. He's our model, right? Dan Spader, an author, he studied how Jesus made disciples, and he saw these distinct stages, and I think he's absolutely correct. The first stage that Jesus invited people into, and we see this in John 1, verses 35 through 39, with Andrew and presumably John, he said to them, come and see. Come and see. Come and see. Could this really be the Messiah? This guy from Nazareth? Come and see. Right? The come and see is for seekers. People curious about who Jesus is. Jesus, he invites people to come and see. Maybe you're sitting in this chair right now. And that's okay. We talk about, and I guess I'll just mention now, um, you, do not, you do not have to feel bad about sitting in any of these chairs. The, the problem is when we get stuck sitting in these chairs and we're not moving to the next chair, right? Some of you are here just because you're coming to see what this Jesus is all about and what this church is all about. This is what our church has to be about, making disciples. But you're welcome to belong before you believe. You're welcome to be here. Come and see, right? We're not going to force you into any kind of decision, right? We pray, we hope, because we believe what we say. We believe that abundant life is found in Jesus, but it's going to be your decision, and Jesus isn't going to force that on you either. He lets you choose, because it wouldn't be love if you forced it, right? Okay, second chair, follower. What does this mean? So you see Jesus doing this with his disciples. You see the first guy Jesus said, follow me was in John 1.43, a guy named Philip. And what Jesus was inviting Philip to do was to come, be with me, learn from me how to live like me. That's what it means to follow Jesus. It also means, too, in order to do that, you got to place your trust in him, that he, is, that he should be followed, that he does know best, 
that he should be your teacher, that you submit yourself to his authority. And so what we have here is somebody who is going to make Jesus their Lord and their Savior because they believe that he has the keys to real life. And they're depending on Jesus for that. And so from the seeker chair to the follower chair, what we have is somebody going from curious to committed. Okay? And as that person sits in the follower chair, they are being, you know, they are being, by the Holy Spirit and their relationship to Jesus, through the person that's discipling them, they're learning and, and taking on the character of Jesus and the priorities of Jesus in this chair. Okay? Let's go to the next chair, worker. What does it mean? So, you see Jesus inviting his disciples into this chair in Mark 1, 16 through 20. Um, this actually took place 18 months into Jesus' public ministry. The worker chair is when he says, hey, I'll make you fishers of men. Which Jesus, what that means is Jesus was inviting those followers to become a part of his ministry team. To actually join him in doing his work. To partner with him. And so after Jesus says, hey, come, I'll make you fishers of men. You know, those who are in chair two, I'm going to make you a worker. What he, what he did is he took his then disciples on all these fishing trips, essentially, where they were actually able to practice doing what Jesus was doing with him. Brilliant, right? All right, fourth chair. This is when the worker who is serving now becomes a spiritual parent and has a spiritual child that they are discipling. This is what we see with the Great Commission. This is what Jesus is releasing them now to be disciple makers. I've spent three years bringing you from seekers to followers to workers with me. I've taught you everything that you need to know to go and do and continue on what I have started. Go make disciples. This is where he takes them to. Now, what has been some of the barriers that have stopped this from happening in the American church. Let me just mention a couple of them. And I think, you know, you've heard the saying, we need to know history so we don't repeat the failures of the past, right? So that's why I'm mentioning these factors. And then hopefully I can give us a way forward here. The first factor. Somewhere along the line, in the church's lifespan, this belief that disciple-making is the job of clergy came into existence. Paid clergy make disciples, not the layperson in the pews. The reason why early Christianity, why, why Christianity spread in its first 300 years is because if you read people who have done the research, the reason it, it, it spread like wildfire through the Roman Empire was because every person... Every Christian viewed it as their responsibility to make disciples. I spread like crazy. Now, that's from a purely historical standpoint. We know that the Holy Spirit, from a theological standpoint, you know, was the main engine. But yet, people were committed to making disciples, right? Okay. Um, once churches became more institutionalized with bylaws and structure and all of those things, somewhere along the line, it became the paid clergy's job to make disciples, right? 
Is structure and systems and bylaws bad? No. They're only bad when they detract us from the mission. That's when it gets bad. Right? But if they help us with the mission to make disciples, all that stuff, structure is good. Okay. Factor number two. Somewhere in our minds, somewhere along the way, disciple making, we started to believe it's for the spiritual elite. Not for every, every Christian. And so it's like, and this is very prevalent. We think that we can't be a disciple maker because, man, you know, like, it's, it's just for those people that pray every day, read their Bible every day, don't blow up at their spouse, don't blow up at their children. It's for those Christians, right? Those Christians don't exist, so that, that doesn't work. No. It's for us. And here's why. It's for every one of us. If you are sitting in chair two, and you, through repentance and faith, have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the same spirit that the first disciples and Jesus rely on to make disciples lives in you. You have everything you need to be a disciple maker. Now maybe, yeah, there needs to be some maturity that comes in you before you do that. Because like maybe you're a brand new baby Christian, but you don't have to be Mother Teresa to make disciples. And some people will say, you just need to be one step ahead of the person that you're discipling. That's it. Right? Okay. It's interesting, and I appreciate, uh, people have noted this, that Jesus never played his God card in making disciples. He relied on the same spirit that lives in us to do it. Some people think, well, Jesus could do it because he was fully divine. Well, he, if you read Philippians 2... He didn't use that to work for his own advantages. Right? Okay, factor three. Gospel preaching without the call to discipleship. So, if in the American church in the last 40 to 50 years, um, you, you would typically hear a message that goes like this. Do you know where you'll spend eternity when you die? Right? Well, um, depending on how a person answered that, that would direct the, the, the preacher's next steps, right? Or the evangelist's next steps. And the idea was, the emphasis was, you need to be made right with God so you don't spend eternity in hell. Okay? That is true. But that was the emphasis solely in a lot of communicating. And so what happened is you had a lot of people become Christians to get their, supposedly become Christians, to get their get out of hell free card. And what this resulted in was a lot of people that claimed Christ, but really only wanted Jesus for his blood. And somebody called, you know, has called individuals such as this vampire Christians. They're just trying not to go to hell, right? Now, the good news is this. Is this that yes, through Jesus Christ, his life, death, and resurrection, we can be made right with God? Definitely. And when we are made right with God, as we receive his gracious gift of forgiveness, the repentance and faith, and, and belief in what he has done for us in our place in his life and in his death, yes, we inherit eternal life, and yes, we don't have to be concerned about hell. 
But here's the part that's often missed. We are now invited in to a life of discipleship with Jesus. And this is good news. Because now we can know intimately the one who will radically transform us from the inside out, who enables us to experience some of that eternal future life now in relationship to him. You need to know that. And so, a lot of people supposedly became Christians, but never became disciples. That's a problem. Jesus didn't preach a gospel that didn't include discipleship. Okay? Alright, factor four. The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things. This uh, has greatly derailed the people in the American church. And if we're being honest, us. We get so consumed with the cares of this world. We get so consumed with, you know, right, you know, uh, uh, going up that corporate ladder so we can have more money, so we can buy more stuff and take more better vacations. And it's all this stuff. And we're distracted. And desires for a whole bunch of other things come in. And we're no longer about the mission that Jesus saved us for. Alright, so and I'll wrap up with this. How can we repair the disciple-making vehicle, which is the church? Let me offer you about, really quickly, I'm just going to list them nine things. If we are going to be that repaired vehicle, and if we are going to be the warm, hot center that Jesus just works through in the city of Maslin to see disciples made, and if we're going to see our county transformed, and if we're going to see our country be different in 10 to 20 years, we have to, we must. The Spirit must make these things real to our heart, so real to our heart that it actually moves us to action. That's the only way I know how this is going to be repaired. That somehow the Holy Spirit is going to have to pour it. Oh, it's getting, the Holy Spirit has got to be revival. It's got to come upon people. And they got to be so moved in their bones. This is what they give their life. And everything else, it'll fit in where it fits in. But this is the main thing. And I have to say, I'm not very hopeful. I think that's the tears. I'm not very hopeful. If I'm being honest, I don't know if it's going to happen in my lifetime. I just really don't. I really don't. And there are days I really don't think it will. Love you, Pastor Shane. Yeah, back at you. Um, are you guys, I mean, like, who cares? I mean, if we're just going to come here, I, I know, yeah. All right, nine things. Every follower of Jesus must preach a gospel that includes discipleship. Church leaders, including ours, must do a better job of equipping people to be disciple makers. 
we must create a clear and effective roadmap that disciple makers can take disciples through. Third thing, every follower of Jesus must view themselves as responsible for making disciples. If you claim Christ and you're a Christian, you, you are working towards, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to be a disciple maker, a spiritual parent. Every follower of Jesus must believe that discipling another person is the most loving thing they can do for another person. Every follower of Jesus must realize that making disciples is critical for their own spiritual growth. As Christianity, you're a Christian and, and you're sitting, you've been sitting in chair two for 15 years. Has all of this just become lifeless and dull? Yeah. Because you're not investing in somebody else's discipleship. And if you sit in chair two or chair three for 15, 20, 30 years, it's going to become dull and lifeless. Don't you see? Making disciples is not just about other people. It's about your own spiritual health. We all know when you actually have to teach something to someone, what happens to you? It becomes so much more ingrained in your being because you have to know it. You have to know it if you're going to teach other people. Number eight. Number seven. Every follower of Jesus must cut things out of their life so that they have the bandwidth to walk in obedience to Jesus' command to make disciples. You're in control of your schedule. You are in control of your schedule. You are in control of your schedule. You're in control of your time. You are. I don't think we believe this. We decide what we say yes and no to. Why are we constantly walking around overcommitted, overstressed? I don't have time. You're in control. Say no. Say no to things that really don't lead to life. For you, your family, and your kids. Say no. If you're visiting here today, I'm sorry. And this is going, I, number nine. Eight. In order to become a disciple maker, every follower of Jesus must first invest in their own discipleship to Jesus. We cannot give away what we don't possess. Number nine. Followers of Jesus that have young children must realize that their call to make disciples starts first with their children. Mothers, you are so critical in the discipleship of your children. If you don't do it, if your husband doesn't do it, who's going to do it? And only you can influence them the most. Let me pray. Ah, oh, Lord, and, uh, I admit I struggle to be hopeful many days. Um, help, help me to, to uh, 
and anybody else that feels like me to find that hope again. Lord, I do pray. I pray for revival. And of course, if we want to see change in the world, it starts with me. And uh, I pray that I would live out what I preach. That there wouldn't be a gap between my knowledge and my obedience. I pray the same for every person here. And I pray that something would change, that we would get so sick of all the things we're pursuing here in America that we would really thirst for true living water, true bread from heaven that can satisfy, which is you, Jesus, and joining you on your mission. I know there's so many people that are looking for meaning and purpose. It's right there. Knowing you and then discipling others so that they may experience you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.